What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vane Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Heller, and this week we have Andy May on the podcast. And if you don't know Andy, Andy's been all over the podcast network for good reason, and that is because he kills multiple big, mature whitetails every year in multiple different states across the country. And I was happy and thankful for an hour of his time today as he uh, sat down on his lunch break and walked through all these questions with me. And he answered his, uh, the, we did the podcast from his phone in the car uh, through Zoom. And at one point he does drop off. We get him back pretty quick. So that is in there. And I left some of that in there because I thought it was pretty funny actually how we, how we came about this. But uh, um, anyway, Andy's on the podcast. And this one is not like a pre-rut or a rut or uh, early season. This one is just a lot of questions with long, lengthy explanations from, from Andy on how he chooses where he wants to go, when he wants to go, and how he wants to be there. So I'm calling this one intentional efforts because we talk a lot about where you want to be, when you want to be, how you want to be, depending on, you know, as a property you've known for years, is it a brand new property or out of state? Are you in state? What the time of year is, what the weather's like. So we go through a lot of that stuff in a lot of different situation uh, situation pieces. So I learned a ton in this and I hope you do too. Before we hop into the podcast, though, got to thank a couple of our major sponsors, which would be uh, Origin and Jocko Fuel. So Origin, if you don't know, 100% American-made clothing, boots, jeans, t-shirts, sweatshirts, camo, camo tops, camo bottoms, the phenomenal company with, with everything being sourced in the U.S., with people in the U.S., with machines and factories and everything here in the U.S. So if you want to keep your dollars here you know, go look up originmain.com uh, or origin U- Google Origin USA. Uh, and if you want to save 10%, Heller10, the code Heller10, H E L L E R, then the number's one zero, will get you an additional 10% off of whatever promo they have going on. So, like this, I'm recording this on October 1st. They have a uh, promo going on. It's ending today, but it's additional 25% off of all their stuff. Um, so even on top of their already current sales, you can sometimes get an additional 10% off with the code Heller 10. So if you're interested in that, uh, and again, the camel line is what I wore last year. I'm wearing it again this year. Love the pants, love the tops. Everything's good. It's well built, very durable, quiet. Um, you know, nothing, no, I don't have anything bad to say about it. Besides I wish the pants had like one or two more pockets in them. Besides that, otherwise Everything has has been top notch with comparatively to other brands, other top brands that I've that I've worn in the past. So go look at Origin and then also Jocko Fuel. If you guys are, I cannot recommend Jocko Go cans enough. All right, if you're if you're a person who buys Red Bull, you buy Monster, you buy Bang Energy Drinks, Rain Energy Drinks, whatever in the mornings, stop doing that. Go to Jocko Fuel. Buy the 12 pack of cans. They're basically the same price. It's about three bucks a can or so, something in that range. And these things are phenomenal. They taste really good and they're much healthier for you. They are not loaded with all the garbage that you find in in those other products. These are much healthier. They have a little bit less caffeine, but they hit just as hard. And trust me, I am a caffeine addict and I take a whole bunch of different pre-workouts and these these things still hit me just because of the different natural ingredients they have and how they combine to give you the boost, the mental clarity and the energy that you're looking for. All right, can't ex- can't express that enough. And the the cans that you buy are far better, honestly. They're better than the pre-workout go. So take a look at those Jocko Go cans, order a couple dozen of them, throw them in your truck so that when, you, when you're at work or you're on the go or you want to hunt in the morning or whatever and you want, to, you want to boost, these things are awesome. I keep them with me. Basically, most, most of the days I will have one on me or I will be drinking one or something like that. All right. And otherwise, besides that, you know, the whey protein, the cookies, um, the creatine, the the um, the cold war, the all the different vitamins and all that kind of stuff is all in Jocko fuel as well. So go there. And again, Heller 10 gets you 10 percent off of those as well. All right. So with uh, that is Jocko fuel and origin moving on to elite archery. These guys make phenomenal bows. Right. Um Elite Archery, I, I picked the, we started working with them this year. I bought the Carbon Era from them, 
and that thing has been shooting lights out since I got it. Um, been doing very, very well with it. Very happy with it. And I'll be honest, like once you get up to uh, bows that are eight, nine hundred dollars or more, I'm not a good archer, good enough archer to like really hone in on the very minute differences. But at the same time, I can tell you, I am more confident with this bow in my hand than any other bow I've had in the past. I couldn't tell you exactly why. So again, I'm not I'm not a pro professional archer, but I will tell you the way that when you draw it, when you hold it, when it sits steady in your hand and you're sitting there and you just, you can release that arrow and you know that when you pull that trigger, that thing's going right where you want it to. That's what you need in a bow. And, and that's what I feel when I'm shooting this, this carbon, uh, this carbon era. So if you're interested in, in new bows, um, looking at next year, you know, we're in hunting season now, but definitely take a look at elite archery. These guys are making some awesome bows and they're coming out with a new line this year. Um, at least give them a shot. Take the shootability challenge. Apologies. I got some in my throat right now. <coughs> oh, geez. Um, take the shootability challenge. Give that a go. Um, and, and see what you see if you like that bow more than any of the other ones in the shop there. Last but not least, Onyx maps. These guys, I'm I'm on Onyx maps all the time during hunting season. Basically, every day I'm looking at it, checking wind direction, checking where almost all the different spots I have, checking public private land boundaries, checking new entry and exit routes, checking my old waypoints, checking new waypoints, marking stuff while I'm scouting, scrapes, rubs, food sources, apple trees that I find, other hunting or under other hunting tree stands that I find. The the app has basically everything you need. To, to plan everything out digitally so that you can go in there and have a successful hunt. And especially if you're going in in the dark, I love to run tracks on my way out of stands or locations. Once I go in and scout an area and I feel like it's a morning sit, I'll drop my pin and then I'll run my track out to like a main trail or something like that. So I'm coming in the dark, I can see that track, I can pull that up and it's and it's usually within, you know, a few feet. I can figure out what trail I came in and out on and I can make that entry and exit as as desired as I planned it out originally. All right, that's a hot tip um, from me because you and I both know that there have been many times you're getting out in the woods in the morning and you're like, oh shit, where is the trail? How do I get in here? How did I do this last time? And then you end up going the wrong way and it's a bugger hellhole and blah, blah, blah. We all know, we all know that story. So to, to just run the track on the way out, that way you have it on the way in, you know, the next morning or whatever, um, that has always been helpful for me. Okay. So take a look at Onyx maps. Uh, I believe they have a seven day free trial, load that bad boy up, create an account, um, and then give it a go for seven days. I know you'll enjoy it because it's, there's nothing else out there like it. All right. With that, let's roll into the podcast. Thanks for listening. All right. Yeah. So Andy, we're limited on time. So I'm going to hit you with a hard one right away. All right. Okay. All right. So, uh, you're on public ground, you're walking out there for the first time and, or it's your second, like, like you scouted this spot last season. You're like, dude, I know there's nice scrapes out here, blah, blah, blah. You're going out there mid October, you walk out there and there's a be big, beautiful giant scrape on the ground. You're like, oh yeah, this is where it is. This is what I thought. And you look over and there's a trail camera right there. It's unlocked. You checking that SD card? Uh, I've never <laughs> done that. Yeah, no, I've never done that. Um, usually, uh, used to be when I would see that, I would just kind of leave that area alone. Um, you know, I just, I never really wanted to be around where other people were, but anymore, it seems like they're just everywhere. Um, you know, I run into them constantly. So no, I don't really, um, I don't really check them, uh, to be honest with you. I just kind of, it, it used to deter me to hunt in that area. Um, but now, um, in a lot of cases, it's hard to get away from them. And yeah, you know, it might, that area might have been pressured a little bit, or it might be a guy that, you know, is like me and only gets out on a few weekends a year and maybe he has a dozen spots or something. So maybe he hasn't even been in there for a month. So you just, you never know. I, it's not that I ignore them now, but I don't, um, they don't deter me as much as they used to, because now it seems like everybody's using them and everybody's using a lot of them. So it's kind of yeah. almost hard to get, get away from them, but now typically I, I just leave them alone. Yeah. 
No, that was a, I had to I had to ask that one with you. That was a, a controversial question between my friend group the other day oh, that yeah. popped up there because uh like yeah, there's like six, seven of us on a text and like three, four were like, Oh, you bet I'm checking that SD card. Like I'm not seeing <laughs> the camera, I'm checking yeah. it and I'm putting the card back, you know. Yeah. But I don't, uh, you know, uh, I, then, I don't think there's necessarily yeah. anything wrong with it. It's just not my thing but uh yeah I, I know a lot of my buddies do that <laughs> <laughs> right it's kind of one of those things that uh that we were all all him and haunt about and i so the other the other night i went out and um there were i went out to a, a piece of public ground and the first night i went two weekends ago i went in with um, in wisconsin season opened up september like 16th i went that weekend and uh -huh. i saw uh two trail cameras the next weekend i went out to this spot i saw six and i oh. was like Oh shit. <laughs> so yeah. clearly there's other people back here now. And I, you know, and I didn't, I didn't check any of them, but you know, four of the six were cell cams and, you know, I just give them the thumbs up as I walk by, you know, and it's like, all right, mm -hmm. see you later, you know, and, and four of the six also that were the cell cams were unlocked. I was like, man, you guys better get out here and lock these things up. Cause they're, yeah. they're going to disappear. And then on like the furthest spot I went, there was a DNR warden card in the tree and you could see where someone had 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 a, like a tree stand or something they had a bunch of marks on the tree right there so mm. just totally totally agree that um that uh it's it's one of those things where you're like well i i doesn't deter me anymore because like you said there's could be you could have 15 of them and especially if they're not cell cams like you're yeah. like all right like this guy could have been here yesterday or he could have been here three months ago and he might never come back this season right yeah what i found too is like um a lot of times in the um some of these spots that i hunt um it's not all, like if you find uh you know half dozen cameras it's not always like a half dozen guys it, a lot of times it's one guy peppering an area you know and yeah almost like he's kind of claiming it a little bit you know so at least you get that feel but so mm -hmm. yeah i don't like being around them um I mean, I, I hate to see them. I hate, I hate to see them kind of littering the woods like that, but I mean, I'm just as guilty as anyone. I use them, yeah. um, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt my feelings to see it all go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's my next question. You, do you think in like the next five to 10 years, cell cams are going to be banned by a lot of States, man, I'll be honest. I really hope so. And, um, it's not, it's not that I, um, it's not that I'm like judging anybody that uses them, like anybody that, you know, it's perfectly legal. And, uh, you know, I know some friends of mine that use them. Some use a couple, some use a ton of them. Um, but what I do think is, um, I think a couple things, actually, I, I think it is changing the face of hunting among other things. Sure. Um, it's changing what, um what hunting is and in just like a few short years i mean just think about when the first cell cameras came out and think about how it is now and how guys are using these and um you know strategizing um kind of relying heavily on on that technology um, i was listening to a podcast just the other day um of a you know, one of the most well-known hunters and, um, you know, in the first two minutes of the podcast, he talked about, um, he was hunting down at, at one of their farms and they weren't seeing anything big. They were seeing like one and two year old bucks. So they decided to just, um, stay out, um, and just sit at home and just let the cell cameras tell them, you know, when, when to hunt. And I thought about it and I was just like, man, what a far cry from, you know, five, 10, 15, 20, you know, 25 years ago, where if that was the case, you would get out and scout and you would go find one. Um, but now, you know, that is a, I mean, it is what it is. It's a shortcut, you know, it's a shortcut to, you know, trophy deer hunting, um, where it used to require a lot of time, a lot of dedication, um, a lot of woodsmanship and, and it, it honestly, it saddens me a little bit to see that disappearing. Um, and I've actually been a little vocal about not, not banning cell cameras, but more maintaining woodsmanship. Um, I just think it's important. It's an important thing to talk about an important thing to keep alive. 
Um, I, I don't think it's helped hunting in a good way. Um, you could argue trail cameras in general, but at least with trail cameras, like you have to go out and check them. Like you are, you are, um, you are placing your feet into the woods or the swamps or the hills or wherever, where these deer are, and you are eliciting some sort of pressure or disturbance that, you know, could impact your hunt negatively or the information you get could impact it, you know, positively, but you, you have to go out there and put the effort in to get that information. Um, but and another thing too, that I think is maybe not ideal is that it's making guys very, very efficient at killing. Um, and so now guys can spend less time in the field, kill more bucks, which gives them more opportunities to hunt other properties, other states, whatever. So, you know, for instance, say, say I used cell cameras and I have, um, you know, a lease in Michigan and Ohio and Wisconsin and Kansas and Iowa. Okay. Um, and now how you, get, how you get that money, teach me how to get that kind of money. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's guys that do believe it or not, right? but let's just, let's yeah. just say even not leases permission. Um, you know, and then I, I, you know, I tag one in Michigan because I, you know, I got one on, on cell camera and I'm able to be a little more efficient and know when he's there can slip in there and get it done. And now I can go and go to these other States and potentially, you know, get it done in a much shorter time than it would take without that information. So now here's one guy that's leased up or has, has, um, locked up that much ground because he's so much more efficient at, at getting it done. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, that takes a lot of opportunity away and I'm all about maintaining opportunity and doing what's best for the resource. And I'm just not sure that having those around and having that technology and keep increasing that technology is what's best for the resource and what's best for hunting opportunity. Now I know not, there's not a ton of guys that are doing that, but I mean, just in my circle of, you know, hunting friends, acquaintances, which is quite large, um, they're all, I mean, most of them are doing that, you know, and they're hunting six, seven States and they're killing four or five bucks and they got leases and they're, they're, they're able to know when that property is hot or when that buck they're after is hot and moving in daylight and they can slip in and that increases your chances dramatically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I get it. I mean, they're fun. I get the allure of it. Um, and I understand that not everybody cares about preserving the culture of woodsmanship and not everyone cares about keeping hunting fair, you know, whatever the, um, the definition of that is some people just want to go and have fun. And those things are fun. And, um, I can't hate on anyone for that. And I don't, but I, I think of along the lines of what's best for the resource, the deer and maintaining that opportunity for everybody, you know, and and those two things are, are always number one in my mind. Um, we're seeing it more in the Western States now where opportunity is going away because technology is advancing cell cameras, you know, obviously long range rifles, longer range bows, the, the, you know, guys are, you know, killing out to 70, 80, a hundred yards now. Um, that wasn't a thing 20 years ago, you know, guys had to get inside 40, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, and now states that, you know, you could buy over the counter are two, three, four, sometimes six year wait, um, because guys are more successful with their weapon. Um, and that's why you're seeing a lot of those states ban those cameras because they're just too much of an advantage. And you talk about a resource like elk or mule deer, or antelope now, you know, due to some of these severe winters, they can't sustain that much effectiveness from the hunters. Now, whitetail are way more adaptive. They're way more abundant. But what we're seeing on the whitetail side is we're seeing decreased opportunity. We're seeing more crowded public lands because more guys are leasing up ground. Um, and it all contributes to it. You know, um, yeah. there's, there's multiple factors other than trail cameras and cell cameras, but that's kind of my opinion on them. I, I, I hope they get banned. 
Um, but I have a feeling it's going to be just like baiting, you know, like baiting is illegal yeah. in Michigan, but we sell porn at every gas station. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> and it's like, right. it flies off the shelf faster than anything. So, um, you know, it, it is what it is. I, I don't, I don't judge anybody and I don't look down at anybody, but I do, I think in terms of what's best for the resource, preserving that culture of hunting and woodsmanship mm-hmm. and uh, maintaining ample opportunity for everybody. So yeah. that's kind of where I'm coming from. Yeah. I think I, I would totally agree that for as far as the Western States go, it seems like um, states that have quotas and draws for tags where there's limited opportunity to get a license, like that's where it's going to start because that's where it's having the biggest impact. You look at a state like Wisconsin, where we've never like, no one's ever been able to come to Wisconsin and be like, oh, you can't buy a license, right? Mm-hmm. There's just so many deer here. So, so people always have opportunity. So I think Wisconsin will be one of the last or latest ones to like ban something like that, unless it hops on train with some sort of pack with other States. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I think that I, I totally agree. That's where it's going to, where it's going to kind of start. And then I think it's kind of one of those things where if you go to somebody's house and you look, it's going to become, you look on the wall and you're like, Oh, nice, nice bull elk. How'd you get that? And they're like, Oh yeah, I paid 15,000 for a guide to hunt a private ranch. And in your mind, you're like, Oh, fantastic. But in your mind, it kind of dilutes that animal. You're like, okay, you didn't actually do the work. Sure. Yeah. So, and and yeah, when someone tells you, Oh yeah, dude, I've, I hunted three times last year and I just watched my cameras and I saw them on day, day on November 7th, come into the property. I shot them November 9th. And then yeah. that was my hunting season. Like that kind of dilutes. You're like, okay, well, so you're a cameraman. So I'm not necessarily going to learn a ton from you besides put my cameras in the right spots. Right. Yeah. No, I feel the same way. It's, it's not like I, um, I mean, that, that's the, sto- that's the, that's the big buck story. Now, 90% of the time it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, he popped on this cell camera. I mean, that's why you're seeing guys, you know, and it's not not everybody but you're seeing it more and more like guys flying from here to here to here to here it's because their self cameras are popping off and they're getting those bucks killed you know within Mm -hmm. a couple of days i mean look at it this way we got guys that are 30 years old that have a better trophy wall more big bucks than miles keller you know one of the greatest bow hunters uh, bow hunters of our time and they got more big bucks and more bucks um and you know i i part of that is hunters evolve you know he shared information amongst other guys and and we learn that we build on that and we you know you get better over time but like that the technology advancements have created such shortcuts for us Mm -hmm. it just i want it to be hard you know i want it to be hard and i want it to be um i want the people that work the hardest that dedicate themselves, that spend the most time, and that are the sharpest in their skills to be the most successful. Yeah. That's the way it should be. But it's yeah. not that way. Um, no. That's why you never, you know, when people start talking about who's the best, I mean, you you literally, you can't, you can't quantify that or qualify that. You can't. Who's the best bow hunter? Um, it's impossible. We all hunt different situations different states like i've hunted places where i feel like it's easy to kill a nice buck i've hunted places where i feel like it's damn near impossible like i mean everybody's different but you never hear anyone mention those guys that are hunting that way you know because you're right it you're it it's fun to watch and it's fun to see it but you don't respect it the way you do um you know for a guy that's you know, hunting, you know, maybe some public land or free permission stuff, stuff that everybody else can hunt and doing it through more woodsmanship and effort and time spent. Right. Um, those, at least for me, those are the guys when I hear, when I hear them talk and they actually have substance to their hunting stories, there's actually a strategy and an effort and a dedication there, some woodsmanship. I'm like all ears, but when it's just like, you know, a bait pile and a cell camera, you know, that's yeah, not right. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's there's not, a strategy. The I, I get there's a strategy there. I mean, there's a strategy for sure, but it's, there's no, there's no deep 
context. There's no real skill there that is um, there's no enticing for, for me to learn, you know? Right. Yeah. And there's so. no journey like you like you always want to hear someone's adventure and someone's journey into how they were. Yeah, dude, I started I got a you know, I, I glassed up this buck in the summer. I lost mm-hmm. him for a month. I tried haunting him. I hunted 15 days, never saw him. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden I saw him again on October 12th. And then I ended up and I hunted him really hard. And I ended up killing him November 18th, right before gun season started. And there was mm-hmm. this whole, you know, journey and, and adventure and story about this thing versus, yeah, man, I was sitting on the couch. I was ready to leave and go somewhere. Else. I saw this one last year, like, Oh yeah, I was ready to go on a fishing trip, you know, in the afternoon and uh cell cam popped open, buck was on the feeder, walked outside with the rifle, snuck yeah. 100 yards, shot it, you know, and we're good. Yeah. Like that's not people are like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not it's not fair chase in my opinion, but you know, I don't want to be the sour like old guy, that, you know, <laughs> wants, wants to be wants things to be the way they were, even though that's how I really feel. Like I mean, I have friends that utilize, that's, that's their whole style. I mean, mm-hmm. is, is really that rarely do they kill one that's not cell camera aided and I'm happy for them. And I tell them congrats, um, you know, but it's, it's not like I'm, you know, I don't ask them the story. There's, there's, there's no story. You know what I mean? There's right. no, there's no story. The story is that they spent a lot of money and, and uh, um, you know, a lot of, maybe secured a lot of places and whatever but i don't know it just it just makes me sad um but i mean i know people don't want to hear it so i don't i don't talk about (laughs) it too much i just hope i hope that i hope that the hunting community recognizes if things start going south and things start looking bad for the resource and looking bad for hunter opportunity that we recognize that and we can say, and we can police ourselves and be like, Hey, you know, this isn't good. You know, like we, yeah, we went down this road. I don't think it was the right road. Let's stop doing this. You know, right. I, I hope that the hunting community can do that instead of like putting themselves first and be like, no, it's my land. I can do what I want. And I want to be able to do, I don't want the government involved in, you know, my decision. Like I get all right. that. Um, so the government's I, yeah. Yeah, I, I get that too. But the go like at the end of the day, government's always involved because that's the only way you're gonna get a license unless you want to poach. Right. right? So right. yeah, but I and you know, and one of those one of those people that that do things um the 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 more the older way or the the harder way would be <laughs> I want to say tread barda right now, but <laughs> but uh <laughs> it would be like Ethan Eskew, right? Like mm-hmm. I saw you post about him, like Ethan's been Ethan's been all over the place that that kid works really hard at what yeah. he does, um, which is one of the questions I wanted to ask you. So I, I saw you, you posted like he's on the hunt better. Do you have like an affiliation with, with hunt better? Or do you work with them or how does that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So hunt better was formed um, with the, the sole goal to um, maintain the culture of hunting and woodsmanship. So to kind of highlight that and keep talking about it and have guys on that also believe in that and that can relay that and give them kind of a platform to, to teach that and keep that alive. And when I um, was approached on that concept, because um, I'm, I'm not a content guy, I'm not, I don't want to be, um, truth be told, I don't even really enjoy doing podcasts. <laughs> I do them because, (laughs) um, I do them because people have helped me and I understand that I've been doing this a long time and there are people out there that I could potentially help as well. So I do think, you know, I'm 45 years old. I've been doing this a while. I've traveled a lot. I've hunted a lot. I've hunted a lot of States. I do think there's a responsibility for the, um, you know, the people that have been doing this longer to help the people that are starting out or that are in the middle of their journey and make sure that, you know, we keep doing that. You know, that's a, a big part of preserving the hunting culture. I'm a strong believer in that. And that's why I do these. Um, but when they approached me um, about, you know, helping out with that or being a part of that, like I couldn't say no. I mean, that's exactly what I'm most passionate about. That's exactly what I want to see happen. 
um, I couldn't say no to that at all. So I was like, absolutely. You know, that is something I can get behind. Um, you know, whether it's successful or, or not, like, I don't yeah. care. It's just a, it's a platform to, to talk about those things, to highlight those things and to do some different kind of high level teaching things. They got some really cool, um, series over there, um, that, you know, I've been a part of some of them and other guys like Ethan and, you know, a, 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 a boatload of guys uh, have been on there to share their knowledge. And now they're, they're coming back around and doing more different series like master the map and breaking down some of their hunts to a really high level where you can actually see um, the maps and how the deer move and the terrain and why they made the decisions they did, the weather conditions and what, what made them end up where they did to be successful and for me personally and i think a lot of people that's like the best way to learn you know like yeah take me through your mental approach you know take me through why you did this you know in this area or for this deer and and what he did and what was his behavior and, and how this hunt played out um not yeah. you know not not line the woods with 20 cell cameras you know, but no, you, you were in there, you were scouting, you had a history with this deer, you saw him over here, you saw him over here, you picked up sign here, you found out that the, you know, this ridge was producing acorns and he had water here and this was, uh, you know, he's bedded in this bowl and this is the way I thought he was traveling. Like that stuff is super digestible. And if you're really into that, it's a great learning tool. Yeah. Yeah. So along one of the, okay. So I wanted to touch on hunt better. Cause I, it seemed like that was, that was important to you. And, and I haven't subscribed to it, but I, I should, I should check that thing out. Um, it looks mm -hmm. like a great, a great platform to, to digest info. Um, mm -hmm. so along those lines, one of the questions I wanted to ask you here, and it kind of ties right into that really well is, is if you're, <clears throat> let's, let's say you're on, you're on a piece and, and you do end up, um, killing a deer on it, um, or, or you're, you're planning kind of an out of state or you're planning a hunt where you want to, to, to block off time and go, right. Mm -hmm. Would you think that like, if you could have it either way, would you rather do like three, three day days off? And let's say it's, you know, you're only traveling an, an hour, 30 minutes. Like you just want to take the days off to go hunt, right. Would yeah. you rather do three, three separate three day instances um, like every, every week you're just taking three days or would you rather do nine days altogether? What would can you I, can I do the three days have to be set or can I use them whenever I want? Um, Ooh, that's a great question. How about, I mean, if, how about you can use them whenever you want? Like you can use them based on weather time. Frame. Yeah. I would pick the, th I would pick the three, three days, three different times. I would, right. um, that's what I did. Uh, not really by choice, but that's what I did. Um, uh, last time I drew Iowa, you know, I couldn't go down there for nine days. So I had to take, you know, my plan was to spend three to four days, which is typically my max, um, three different times, you know, and sure. I was going to try to go, I was, I was going to try to go sometime in late October when the temperature and the weather looked right sometime in, um, the first two weeks of November when the temperature and the time were right. And then if I needed to come back, you know, mid to late November when the temperature and time were right. Yeah. And um, it, it, with that being said, also when my work schedule allowed and then my daughter's sports, maybe I wasn't like missing anything super important, you know, trying to factor all that in there. So yeah. that's what I, that's what I did because, um, you know, nine, nine straight days in the rut too. I mean, no doubt about it it's i wish i could do that and i would do it if i could sometimes it's just um you can you could get unlucky with a really warm stretch there mm -hmm. um you know you really could and i'd rather have you know uh a nice cold front in late october than 75 degrees the first two weeks of november you know what i mean yeah so yeah. um i like i like being able to use those three days and put them exactly where I want them. Um, sure. Yeah. Just, just for me looking at that yeah. 10 day forecast kind of going, yeah, what's coming up, what's coming up. All oh, these, these days look good. Let's, let's roll. Then, then potentially you, you know, if you, if you're really flexible, then potentially you get nine premium days 
mm-hmm. instead of a nine day stretch that maybe you have three premium days, you know? Yeah. What about, so. what about like, and you're looking, you're looking for kind of potentially a cold front, right. Or some yep. pressure differences or, um, I assume that's what you mean by, by time is right. Or temp is right. Like you don't want 75 degrees. You want 30 to 50, right. During the rut. Um, are you like if, if if a cold front hits on a Wednesday, um, Tuesday it's sixty five degrees, Wednesday it's forty eight, and Thursday mm-hmm. it's it's fifty, right? Are you are you hunting the the day before plus the day of the front plus the day after, or are you hunting the day of the front plus the two days after? What do you like? That? Um, yeah, I like the uh. Well, it depends on what what kind of front. There could be just like you know cooler temps, cooler temps blowing in, and you don't really get like any major um, major front pushing through. Like you don't necessarily get like wind and maybe a storm or anything like that. Just kind of like a drop in temperature. The winds still, you know, are um, moderate um, to low, and you know, that I would like to be out there the day that front, that day that front hits, you know, when it, when those temperatures are dropping or when they're, when they drop that very first day, I would love to be out there. That's a great, uh, a great situation. But if you get like, um, you know, say you're going from like a 70, you know, late October and it drops down to low fifties and you get a day, this happened to me, um, a few years ago and I was actually, faced with this decision and actually mark Kenyon called me because he's not far from me wondering the same thing because he wasn't sure what to do but the 24th this front blew in and it was like 25 mile an hour winds uh very blustery um but the temperatures just plummeted um and then the very next day the 25th the temperatures stayed down and the winds died down to like a like a five to ten Um, so if I was faced with those two choices, I could only pick one. I would pick that second day, you know, that when the, when the winds subside, the front has blown through and the temperatures are just low. Um, but it doesn't mean, I don't think that, that, that blustery cold day couldn't be good. I think it probably is good, especially better than the warm day preceding it. Um, but if I was given a a chance, a choice of those two, I would pick that that kind of first calm cold day after the front front flows through. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So the, the, like an aggressive and aggressive front, um, isn't as ideal as like a nice calm front that comes through. I think the aggressive front can be really ideal. I would just focus on the day after it. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Chills out. (laughs) Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. So, um, so we, it's, I mean, then that's a great, great lead into, you know, October hunting, right? So you have, we were supposed to have this, this podcast a couple, couple days from now, but you're headed to Ohio, right? To go yep. on an earlier season hunt ish. Yep. Okay. I was, uh, well, I was planning on going uh, a little further South at, uh, down into Ohio with a buddy, but it looks like that's going to fall through. So I think I'm going to be more up North, um, which isn't too terribly far from my house my house um and uh it's an area that i scout often and i'm very familiar with and um there's some nice bucks it's not it's not big buck country um it's more open ground so it it, you know pressure is high for the amount of cover that's available um the gun pressure is really really effective at knocking the bucks down um Mm -hmm. so you don't get great age structure but it seems like every year i have like you know, maybe one or two, you know, four-year-old bucks or, or older, usually a four-year-old buck to chase. It's, it's very similar to Michigan. It's just different terrain. Um, so I hunt it not because I'm trying to kill a giant. I hunt it because it's another tag and it's close to home and I have a busy schedule. That's the only reason I hunt it or I wouldn't because it's, it's not that good. Um, but it is conducive to glassing. Um, it is conducive to decoying. Um, you know, the deer are somewhat predictable where they are because it's so much open ground. You know, there's little blocks of woods, there's little hedgerows, 
little drainages, little creeks, um, you know, so the deer are going to be relating to that cover. Um, yeah. And there's, there's a couple bucks I had glassed um, this really tall eight, not a high, super high scoring deer, but he looked, you know, he looked to be probably like a four-year-old buck, really big, nice, tall frame, just not a super high score, but real pretty. All right. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all good. Like, like 60 degrees out my phone just overheated because i'm just i'm sitting in a car with all the windows up this is a hot box in here <laughs> no worries man no worries so you were in the middle of saying um you're in the middle of saying you glassed up a nice tall eight not a high scoring yeah. deer yeah that's yeah. where that's where i lost you yeah yeah and uh he was um kind of doing the same thing i was checking on him about once a week and he was just living under everyone's nose. Couldn't see him from the road. So you have to actually get out. You have to kind of um, go through this ditch and then cross this hit. The, the field kind of creates like a, a little high spot, kind of like a, a gradual hill. And then if you get on the other side of that, you can look down into this corner. And that's where he was with a couple other bucks. And uh, I don't know, this, this spot, it's weird um some years they're there for the opener and other years they leave like right before the opener and in the last two times i've been out to to pinpoint him he wasn't in there gotcha. um so it it doesn't mean he's not there it just means he's not doing what i thought he was and there's not a lot of cover there so my gut feeling is telling me he's not there anymore um but you're still gonna go give it a go yeah it's probably worth the sit i think i'm just gonna go I think I'm going to go to a different part of that, that property because he's, he's obviously not where he was. So yeah. I'm probably just going to go throw a sit, um, in this little tiny woodlot where maybe he's kind of working through that area. Um, but I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that deer just because history has told me this spot is they're either there for the opener for a few days and then they're gone or they're just gone before the opener. It's just one of those spots where they like to bachelor up and then they're not there long but in another spot about 16 miles away um there was a buck an ohio buck um last year i had killed uh well it ended up being five but at the time i hadn't found the one so i had i had at this at that point i had killed and recovered four bucks and I had my Ohio tag and there was this really nice buck. Um, and I just, you know, I just didn't feel the need to, to, to shoot another one. So I decided to just roll the dice and, and try to see if he'll make it. And, uh, sure enough, he made it. And I was, he had some kind of cool features. He reminded me of a buck, um, that I had shot down around that area a couple of years ago. In fact, I, I'm, I'm certain he's of that um like of that offspring somehow but um i was really hoping that he would kind of blow up and he he didn't he's back he didn't really blow up um but he added a couple extra tines and stuff so he's he's probably a four-year-old deer some of my friends think he might be even five so he's a good mature deer um and he's more of a kind of show up mid to late october through the rut type deer um yeah. so i'll probably if i don't if i don't get on this tall buck early i'll probably kind of shift focus to michigan for a while and then maybe try to target that buck a little later um but it's, i don't know how do you all that stuff stuff is always ongoing because i'm always in season scouting so things pop up and i get you know i'm like a distracted you know i get pulled this direction and this direction and this direction. you never know where i'll end up <laughs> yeah yeah how do you know when to, so you like, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you is like, how do you know when, when to like pick up sticks and leave a spot? Like this buck is not like this one, this tall eight pointer, right? I, yeah. You kind of have that area figured out, but maybe it's not like an area that you have a lot of historical info on. Maybe it's a newer area and you're like, man, mm. I found some really good sign in here. There's some good rubs. There's good scrape. Like, seems like everything fits together. Like, how do you yeah. know when to pull up sticks and you're like, dude, it's, it's just not going to go on here yeah that's a tough that's a tough one i mean it's some of it is yeah reading the sign and 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 realizing that the sign is kind of drying up i mean you can 
you know, you're not finding like the fresh sign anymore. You're not really, uh, maybe you got some cameras out there. He's not showing up on camera. You're, you're checking the, the food sources. If it's a field edge or something, you're not cutting any fresh tracks. You know, maybe the rubs are starting to look a little, a little drier or whatever's there. Um, you know, and you just kind of get that feel like he's gone. Cause a lot of times, you know, say you're at, you know, when you're after a specific buck, it's not like, you know, in most cases, they're not in like one general area the whole season, you know, they're, they might be in there for a window and say, you know, say this is like an early season buck, like in the case we were talking about, you know, yeah. I'm going to, if I'm, if I'm working like that, that area is a little easier because it's open and I can work these angles and stuff in glass. There's some standing corn, there's some timber and stuff. And it's like, you can kind of work the angles a little bit. And it's like, if he's around, you should get a picture of him. You should cut a track. You should see him. Um, Cause they don't just lay on their butt, you know, the whole, you know, all daylight hours. And if I'm just not, if I'm not really, you know, able to find anything. And I'm, I've, I feel like I've moved around. Maybe I've sat some observation stands. Maybe it's like in marsh country or something. And you're, you get up in a stand and you're overlooking a lot of country and you can see, you know, you're seeing into the marsh, you can see a long ways, you know, a couple hundred yards or whatever. And you just no glimpses. Um, you know, I would probably, I'd probably pull out of there. I'm not, yeah. I'm not one, like once I get that feeling, like, man, I think he's gone or I think he's doing something else. I'm either going to move on to a different area, a new deer, or I'm going to try to relocate him somewhere else. Um, because it, I, I don't think they typically move like, you know, I, I think it's terrain dependent, area dependent, but you know, I don't necessarily think they move 12 miles away, you know? Sure. So you, you very, if you have enough ground to work with, you might be able to relocate him, you know, half mile away, a mile away, two, two miles away. Um, so it's, it's hard, you know, I, I, I am not one to get locked on to a single deer and, um, and, and just hunt it out without any visuals, without any sign, without any picture or, or nothing. Like if I'm not picking him up somehow through seeing him a picture or sign, I mean, what I, I don't know. I just wouldn't feel like I should be there. You know, I feel like right. I need to go find that somewhere else, you know? Right. Yeah. So, and, and kind of what your, your gut is like, you throw a few sits at that um, area and if it's just mm -hmm. not happening, you go for like, maybe you sit in the morning um, and, and this is like you hunt a morning evening, then you hunt the next morning and you still aren't getting eyes on them. You go for a little scout during the day. Um, check mm -hmm. things out and you're just like, yeah, I'm just not seeing it. So then you're like, all right, this isn't, you know, maybe you're on a, on a 800 acre chunk or a thousand acre chunk. You're like, all right, he's somewhere mm -hmm. else. Like, I gotta go, gotta pull sticks and, and move somewhere yep. else and see if I can turn up some fresher sign. Maybe he moved down this ridge or over into this valley <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Cause a lot of times they just, you know, they're just doing something a little different, but they're still kind of there. You know, and you might be just off, especially if you don't have a good visual advantage. So, um, you know, that's when I would, that's when I'd get a little more aggressive with the in-season scouting. Like, I'm not afraid to do like, you know, a walk through or do a loop through an area of, of, you know, stuff that looks like good big buck bedding yeah. or big buck habitat, and you kind of scout those edges and scout those fringes and look for that sign. I, if I could find, um, you know a good scrape, a really good scrape that's in cover or, you know, even a good, even if it's on an edge, you know, if it's getting hammered, I, I might put a, um, put a camera or two up on, on something like that, because those are going to tell you what's around, especially as you get into that kind of mid and late October, like the bucks are going to be visiting those and that can be really helpful. So it's kind of a combination of all that stuff. Um, but yeah, that's a tough one. Especially yeah. like around Michigan, a lot of times I'm hunting really small pieces. Um, yeah. Just depends, but like I have some permission spots and even some public spots that are that are really small, and the buck's either there or he's not, you know, or or maybe it's a piece of public and it's like really the only good part of the public is way back in the corner, right on the edge of private. It's like they're they're either in there or they're not. Um, so 
in those cases, what I, what I find is it's like you, there's these little windows that you need to capitalize on, you know, when he's there and it could be early, like in the case of that, you know, some of these Ohio bucks, or it could be like that other Ohio buck that comes in a little more during the rut. Um, so you, the more you experience you have with that particular deer or that particular area, when the deer get in there, the, you know, the action heats up, the better you are, but yeah, it's, it's tough. You know, it's tough for me too, like on a piece of ground that I'm not familiar with, you know what I mean? It's, it's, I rely a lot on what I'm feeling. You know, I, I follow yeah. that gut feeling. I follow that instinct. And if it's just like, man, I'm not fired up about this. I just don't see it. I'm missing something here or he's just not here. I'm either going to pull out or I'm going to go searching more in, in a sure. slightly different area. Yeah. That, that instinct is some that, uh, I have a buddy who's like that. He just has a, just has a freaking nose just under, mm -hmm. like just understands where he needs to be and when and how. And, mm -hmm. uh, I'll be like, I'll be like, how did you know you're going to sit over there and kill that deer? He's like, I don't know, man. I was just walking through the woods. I thought this was a good spot. So I set up mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's one. And, and he, you know, he's been around the woods for a long time. Some people have it. Um, I certainly don't, I might have it a little bit more than, than some, but I certainly don't have it to, to some of those degrees. Do you, do you think that like when, when you're pulling up sticks and you're trying to move and figure things out and you say like, there's a, there's a window as far as a window goes, are do you think it's like three days or like five days or like 15 days or does it like season dependent? Like if you, if you're like, <clears throat> if you're trying to hunt, hunt a spot and you're like, all right, I think this buck's in here. Um, I'll probably I bet you he's in here for like the next week and I got to try to find him in the next week or I'm out like, or he's gone. Yeah. Like, yeah. Do you think it's like a week or do you think it's a few days or I always have, um, like, I have a problem with that as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it depends, you know, like if a buck is in an area early season, it's usually obviously it's like a food dependent thing. Right. So, yeah. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's in farm and you got a really good lush bean or alfalfa field or something and they're just the, the bucks are in there because the food is tender it's fresh it's the best food source well then you know you could go through a dry period and the alfalfa gets crunchy or those beans turn turn yellow and boom they're on to something else like acorns or something different you know so there there was a window there and it was however long you know the food source lasted or you never know sometimes it's just pressure one guy getting through there you know bumping the deer out and they're on to something different some sort of different pattern so like early and late seems to be more of like a, a food dependent type window um and some of those yeah some of them can last a, a while um if they're undisturbed but then when you start getting into like um what i see anyway is i see a shift with bucks um usually right around um you know mid-october sometimes it's a little earlier than that sometimes it's a little later than that but a shift more to what we call like you know the rutting range or their fall range um you know where they're gonna spend more of their time like during the rut breeding and, and some bucks will be like they'll they'll be there early and then they're still in there during the rut. And then they're still in there during late. If you have like the good cover and the does are there and the food's there, I think you have a a fair chance. But I've seen spots like that have all that and the bucks still leave. You know, they still <laughs> leave and you don't know where they go. And they come back late season, you know, and they obviously went somewhere else to rut. Um, but those those rutting windows, um, you know, those can be good like if you you know you find where that buck wants to be like in november you know and then he's kind of he's in there right he's in there kind of working that river bottom or working those few ridges or whatever and you're putting try to put your time in high percentage spots where either you think he is or where the does are bedded or where some terrain kind of funnels through um you know and then there's other windows that pop up too like you just you know you're out there scouting it's november 7th and you bump a doe up and the doe takes off and you see a big buck stand and obviously he's with her locked down. It's like, Oh shoot. Okay. 
you know, the buck is here in this little hollow here, or he's in this little woodlot, or he's in this little river bottom here. And like, he's, he's not going to go anywhere for two, three, four days. I've seen even, he's going to be in there with that doe in that area somewhere. So, um, I'm a big, um, I'm a big in-season scouter. I'm out there always trying to gather information and it doesn't bother me if I'm like bump into deer, especially if I don't know what's going on and I'm out there searching for information. It doesn't bother me to bump into a buck because now I know where he's at. Like, I know he's not going to go three miles that way and I'm going to completely lose him. Like he's probably going to, he's around, you know, and now I can start working that game a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's all these different types of windows and I would never put a number on it. Like it's, oh, it's three days, it's five days. But, um, you know, I think they, they do have these little phases that they transition to throughout the year. And the more you can learn that and kind of put those pieces together for an individual buck, the better chances you have obviously of crossing paths with him. And then the same can be said for like, maybe you're not after a, a just one buck. You just after you want a good mature buck. Well, you know, taking into account all those spots you hunt and figuring out when are those spots most optimal for big buck activity. Like I have areas that I know are optimal early season. Like if I want to shoot an early season buck, like those are the, the, these handful of spots are the spots I need to focus on because that's where they're at early. Typically if the food is there, but then there's other spots where if I went there early, I wouldn't see anything but does and maybe a couple tiny bucks for the first two to three weeks of the season. If I hunted there just day after day after day, I wouldn't see anything. And then they'd show up. They'd start showing up late October because it's more of like a doe-heavy area. So it's, it's good to know all those areas of when they become optimal. And you, you learn that through experience, through time in the woods, hunting a lot. Um, for Let's me, it helps. Yeah, yeah. For me, it helped a lot keeping it, you know, keeping a journal, keeping kind of a mental note of when these spots heat up. You know, like I could write out a calendar right now for the whole hunting season and be like, I could write out a plan. Like I'm gonna hunt. I'm gonna focus on these two areas the first few days of the season. Then I'm gonna focus on these two areas. Say I didn't even have an individual buck to go after. Then I'm gonna focus on these three areas during the rut and then i'm going to focus on these three areas uh uh, late season just through my experience over the years and i would have a good season um now i get pulled off of those ideas all the time because this buck you know here's a mature buck that's over here in a new spot or you know there's there's hunters moving into this spot here so that spot's kind of ruined for this year like things happen And the more you can have like your finger on the pulse of all that, the better you are, you know, you could pivot and change, change plans quick. So you don't get kind of like, you know, pigeonholed into a spot that you think is supposed to be good for five, six, seven days and and, and don't even realize something, you know, something bad happened in there and the the deer are gone. So, um, I I'm, I'm a big, uh, believer, or at least it's my style, I guess I should say is I've, I scout very often. I hunt very little. Um, I gather information. And when I feel like I need to put a sit in an area or for a particular buck, I do it. When I feel strong, when I have that strong feeling like I can get in there and get him killed, or I'm trying to get in there and observe something, um, or like during the rut, you know, I'm putting myself in a good area and I'm going to just maximize my time in the tree. Um, That's, that's, that's the one time of year where it's like, okay, I just need to, I need to be out there, but I'm still going to pick my spots. I'm going to pick a, an area during the rut where I know a buck that I want to kill is rutting, or I'm going to put myself in an area where typically good bucks show up, move through, or typically they're, they're there during the rut. Like one of those two things, I'm not going to just go get in a tree. It's going to be a strategic spot, but then I'm going to put a lot of time there. Yeah. Is your what's your favorite part of the season to haunt mm. man um for whitetail man early early season first few days 
or probably late October. Okay. Um, I love, I love the rut. Um, you know, you see a lot of action, but I feel, I feel like some of those big mature bucks, at least here in Michigan. Now, when I go to like Iowa and I go to Illinois, I want to be there during the rut because I don't know what bucks are there. I don't have any history with any bucks. I just want to go when the most bucks are on their feet, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds. Um, but even that, even there, the biggest, oldest bucks, I almost always see locked down with a doe. It doesn't matter if it's November 2nd, it's November 17th. They're all, they always have a doe. I don't really see them cruising and chasing and doing all this stuff. It's usually like the two and three-year-old bucks and, you know, in, in some cases, a four-year-old bucks. And then the same goes for here in Michigan. Usually, like during the rut, when I see a big buck, he is already locked down with a doe. It could be October 28th, you know, and he's locked down with a doe, the first doe. I've seen it. Um, I killed a big buck a few years ago that was locked down with a doe on October 25th. Um, so I feel like those biggest, oldest, those five-year-old, rare, super rare for this area, those bucks, they take that first doe that's available. They don't have to search. They don't have to go far. There's tons of does. They know the areas. They know which does are going to come in first, and they lock up with them really quick. Um, doesn't mean you can't still kill them. It just means they're not going to be covering, you know, 300 yards and 600 yards and cruising through these rut funnels and stuff. They don't do that as much. But you do see a lot of the two-year-olds and three-year-olds do that but the older bucks seem to lock down quick. So because I've had that experience over and over, I feel better at killing those particular bucks early season or late October um, before they get locked up. Sure. And I think, I think late season is another good opportunity. If you have low pressure, if you have good food, which I don't have really either. In most cases <laughs> so um you know that that's always a tough time of year for me um so i'll usually travel to areas that have better you know better buck numbers and better age structure during that time of year if sure. you know unless i'm on to something good but though that's my opinion um that's my opinion on like you know when i would my favorite days my favorite days to be in the woods and just experience it yeah probably in november I mean, sure. you see some cool stuff. It's exciting. You never know what's going to come by. Um, but, you know, that late October and that early season, man, if you're really dialed in on a good one, an old one, it's tough to beat. You know, it's really yeah. tough to beat those those windows yeah. there. I like uh, my personal and, and we're going to we're going to wrap up here. I, I know we both got to, got to run. So my personal opinion, I like, and I think maybe you, you like this too, and you just didn't say it late October is a lot of fun because there's so much sign to read. Like you get mm -hmm. in the woods and it's just like, there it is, there it is, there it is. And you're like, you're not hunting for a scrape. Like you are in early season. There's just like, Oh no, there's, I found 17. It's which one's the freshest. Like it makes you yeah. excited to be out there. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, it's on. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. That's well, no, time. thank you. Thank you so much, Andy, for, for making the time today. I, I know you got a ridiculous schedule and I, and I hope to see a, a whole bunch of bucks hitting the, hitting the Instagram here over the next month or two. Um, if people want to find you and reach out to you, ask you any questions or anything like that, what's a great way to do it? Yeah. I mean, really, I just do, uh, um, Instagram. I just share stuff on there and sometimes I'm, I'm good about it and other times I'm not so good about it. But uh, bow hunting dad on Instagram, you can message me. I try my best to to get to the questions. Um, but yeah, you know, hunting season is a, a stressful time for me because you know my daughter, she's in high school, she's a freshman, she does volleyball and basketball, and those fall right in the middle of hunting season. Yeah. Um. So I'm running around crazy trying to get some time in the woods. So I apologize if I don't get back to you, but. Yeah, man, I appreciate you uh, having me on, and uh, maybe we could circle up after the season or something and do a recap, and, uh, you know, when we both have a little more time, that'd be fine. That sounds like a great idea. We can each yeah. talk about how uh, how 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 much time we spent in the woods and how much new woodsmanship we learned, and I'll tell you all about how I use cell cams to kill this giant buck. <laughs>
<laughs> that's all right i'll tell you congratulations yeah <laughs> all right well thank you andy have a great rest a uh, great weekend and 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 great start to the season uh for everybody listening if you enjoyed the podcast please like subscribe um throw a review on there if, if you feel so inclined and then obviously go go look out look up andy and uh andy last words of wisdom anything you want to leave leave people with um no, I'll just get out there and have fun. Um, you know, anymore, like I'm just, I'm just interested in a, a good bow hunt. You know, I don't get too caught up in like high scoring deer, you know, and shooting the biggest bucks and stuff. I I always target the biggest bucks I can find and, and, and that's all good. But like, I'm just, I'm just out for a good bow hunt anymore. You know, I think, uh, it's getting harder and harder. Um, these days with with everything going on so um yeah especially with a daughter in high school (laughs) yeah yeah just uh you know get out there and have fun don't get too caught up in it and uh yeah don't forget that woodsmanship you know keep keep your shit your uh skills sharp and don't rely on technology too much deal all right thank you everyone catch you next time